Hey, good morning. Um, hey, at this time, we have Children's Church, so, uh, so y'all that want to come to Children's Church, I'm so grateful uh, for Miss Amanda and Mrs. Rachel for being here and uh, allowing Children's Church to happen. So y'all come down, kids, um, and come on down to Children's Church. We're grateful for those ladies and the whole team, and we need help. Y'all heard that uh, earlier, so we're grateful uh, for that. So hey, I am excited to get to bring God's Word to you this morning. Um, and I'm thankful uh, that y'all came because, uh, you know, Brother Corey said, hey, JB's uh, preaching next week. And so thank you for coming. Thank you online folks for uh, joining with us this morning. We're going to be in John 17. So John, the Gospel of John chapter 17. And most of the time when we think of Jesus praying, that's okay. Yeah, that's good. Uh, when we think of Jesus praying, we think of the model prayer, right? In Matthew 6, where he says, uh, and he's teaching the disciples, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Y'all know it. Um, this is another prayer. This is the prayer that Jesus prays not only for himself, but for his disciples. And so that's what I want to bring you today in John 17, 6 through 21. Have you ever had uh, or have you, have you seen uh, Brother Corey or, or one of us on stage where we're praying and we're given instructions, okay? So y'all keep your eyes open. I'm gonna close mine for this illustration. And as I'm praying, Lord, I just pray that, you know, it's, it's really hot in here, so I'm thankful that Brother Mike's gonna go turn on the, the AC, and I'm uh, thankful for that. And as the ushers come down, you know, have you ever seen that happen before? This is the prayer that Jesus has where he's giving instruction. He's giving us direction as his disciples. And so, uh, so go with me there to John 17. As I set the setting, uh, uh, this is a, a beautiful uh, passage and, and really the climax of the Bible, people would, would uh, scholars would say, uh, because at this time, Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room, and what just happened? Jesus got down on his knees, and he had a towel, and he served his disciples. He showed them, he's still model, modeling for them what to do, right? And as he goes on, uh, he he. He says, hey, you know what? One of you is going to betray me. And y'all know uh, that Jesus, or, uh, Judas Iscariot um, gets up and, and walks out, right? And, uh, and so in this moment, they're still in the upper room. Uh, he's still teaching them. He teaches about the vine and the branches. He teaches them uh, about all of these uh, great things. And then finally, before uh, a few hours before he is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays for his disciples. And that's where we are this morning. I hope you're there. Uh, John 17, uh, Jesus prays for himself, his disciples, and for the future believers, for us. And so, so listen intently uh, this morning as we, as we look at this. Jesus' prayer us, encourages his followers in his acknowledging that his message is received, asking protection for us from the evil one, his action which sets us apart in unity, and then his advancement of the kingdom through us. So let's dig in to John 17, and we're going to start in, in verse 6. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. This is Jesus speaking. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. He's praying to the Father now. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them, and they have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Verse 9, I am praying for them. 
I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Verse 14, I have given them your word, and the word has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 17, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they, may also, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Last two verses, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, clear our minds of distractions and let us grow closer to you, transformed by your holy word, O God. We pray this in your name. Amen. Jesus' work here is twofold, okay? One, that he's Emmanuel. He's God with us, right? We celebrate that during Christmas. And then the, the second part of his work is finishing the work that he has for us, being the perfect sinless man that he died on the cross where sinners should have been, where sinners deserve, and he beat death because he was perfect, right? He was not guilty. That was his work. His work was twofold. God, uh, Jesus came to save the world, the whole world. And you know that verse earlier in John's book, uh, John three sixteen, right? Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, right? And he goes on to say in 17, he did not come uh, to condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him. God loves the world, amen? He loves us, he loves the world. And so this is what Jesus, this is why Jesus came to us. There was no other salvation uh, except by uh, Jesus. In another verse in John, uh, John 14, 6 says, uh, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me, right? Y'all know the verse? Jesus came to open salvation back to Holy Father, Holy God. For around three years, Jesus had taught his disciples shown them everything that they, ne- that they needed to hear from him and that he needed to give. Jesus' prayer encourages his followers in his acknowledging that his message is received. Look at verse six and seven. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Verse seven says, now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. This is clear that the disciples have 
uh, whom, whom God gave to Jesus have kept God's word and they know that Jesus is God. I know Bible scholars that you look at the gospel and as Jesus is talking to his disciples, he's kind of like me where they're hard-headed and they just don't get it, right? They finally get it, okay? The disciples finally understand that Jesus is God and that he is the son of God and that he's going to prepare a place for us. That salvation is opened only by Jesus. Verse eight is very critical in our understanding of eternal life and God's purpose for us. Look there, verse eight. For I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and, they, and have come to know the truth in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Jesus taught them everything that God uh, had given to Jesus to teach them. And the disciples had received his teaching and again had come to the understanding that Jesus is the son of God. The disciples received and believed in Jesus's message of salvation, finally. This is the salvation message that must be told to others as Jesus finishes his final work on the cross. In, this, in these two passages here, Jesus is passing the baton to the disciples. He's about to say, look, I'm about to be out of the world. Your work, O oh God, is about to be finished, but it needs to continue on. The message must be told. And who is gonna tell this message? The disciples. That's what he's been doing for the past three years. He's been investing in them telling them about everything that God has given him to tell them. The good news is that Jesus is uh, the Messiah. He is the one that opens salvation to us. Have you responded to this message? Have you repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus's name? Have you done that today? Today is the day of salvation, right? In a wonderful, happy Valentine's Day. What a wonderful uh, a motive of love that the Father did not allow us to stay in our sin, yet he sent his Son to come down and be perfect and die on the cross that we deserve. I know I deserve it. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking you deserve it too if you're a sinner. Here's the thing. What a day of love that Jesus has come and open salvation to us. No... Uh, uh, don't, don't, you know, um, elbow your, your husband there, okay? Because, you know, it's just one of those things. Anyways, we all need salvation. And here's the thing, Jesus has brought it. Look at verse nine and 10. Jesus says, I'm praying for them, the disciples. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. Jesus prays for his disciples and not the world. The disciples are the chosen medium for reaching the world with the message when Jesus leaves the earth. Let me be clear. Jesus came to save the world, right? We already talked about John 3, 16. He says uh, in, a, in another verse coming up, uh, one of his last prayers is he looks down from the cross, Jesus. He looks down from the cross and he prays for the world. What's he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus is for the world. I wanna make that clear. He's for the world, okay? But right now he's praying for his disciples. He's praying for his disciples. In this moment of nine and 10, Jesus prays for his disciples, the one he is glorified by, by their carrying on of his message to the world that he loves. 
Jesus' prayer encourages his followers in his acknowledging that his message is received, but also in his asking protection for us from the evil one. And that's uh, verses 11 through 16. Jesus understands his message, uh, his mission to spread his message. Uh, oh, sorry, let me, let me back up. Jesus understands that this mission is dangerous. He understands that. And so he prays that the disciples would be protected from the evil one. Jesus prays this. Jesus' mind was thinking on what was about to happen, okay? In a few short hours, he will be arrested. He'll be beaten. He'll be taken away from his loved ones. And he knows that his disciples will have to persevere in this world without him, right? So he also knows this, though. He knows who holds the keys to life. He knows who holds the keys to salvation. And they've already understood this, yet we still need to be reminded of it, don't we, church? We still need to be reminded of it. Um, So verse 11, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus foreshadows his death here. He's already told them about it. Hey, I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back to life. I'm going to be resurrected because uh, sin holds no uh, bearing on, on me. He highlighted the disciples' presence in the world there. He says, Holy Father, keep them. Protect the disciples by God's name. Can you feel the emotion there when he says that in verse 11? Holy Father, keep them in your name. I just want to highlight this that our, uh, uh, our Christianity is not a religion, okay? It's a relationship with the Holy Father. And look at our Jesus, look at our Lord, having that wonderful, beautiful relationship there with the Father. Certainly we know he's perfect. That is the Son of God. He is God, I understand that. But he also imparts that to us through his salvation. We get to have a personal intimate relationship with the creator of the world. Amen. We get to do that. We get to do that. So he's modeling that for us. Holy Father, keep them in your name. Feel the emotion there. I have to mention too that the name of God not only keeps us, um, keeps us from the evil one, but the name of God has the power, the power to keep us. I said that wrong. Let me read it again. I have to mention that the name of God not only has salvation, okay, but the name of God has the power to keep us, amen? He has the power. Jesus prayed that God keeps his disciples faithful to his word, which is truth, and keep the disciples secure in their mission. This mission is dangerous. This mission has uh, those that uh, are my chosen people, the Jews there, right? are against them. This mission is dangerous. And so he asks Holy Father to protect them. Look at verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus has kept them. He's protected them by God's name thus far. He's been with them for three years, right? but he's about to leave the scene. And so he prays, Holy Father, protect them. I'm about to leave, so protect them, right? He loves these men. He loves them, right? He is being taken away from the disciples. Um, And so I I wanna wanna, um, clarify this too. 
The no one lost part is specifically Judas Iscariot. You see that in verse 12 there? He says, I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. Judas Iscariot was destined to be lost uh, so that scripture may be fulfilled. But let me be clear. Jesus, uh, th this was not Jesus losing someone, okay? Or a reflection on Jesus's uh, keeping power. Uh, let me turn to uh, John uh, 10, 28 through 30. I'll give it to you on the screen. It says, I give them, this is Jesus, Jesus speaking here. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. By the way, the apostle John is, is writing that right? From an eyewitness standpoint, he saw Jesus speak this. He saw Jesus do this. And so he's writing all of this down. So it's kind of the same language here. Here's the point. God cannot lose people that, that give their lives over to him, that trust in him. He is the one who pursues us. And guess what? When we repent, when we have faith in him, we can never be snatched away from his hand, amen? We can never be snatched away. And so Judas Iscariot was never with him, right? And that's sad because he was with Jesus for, uh, for around three years, right? He was with him. And so I, I, I say this very clearly, very plainly, that our checks in the boxes of coming to church, to, to having our Bible read, to, uh, to, to giving, to, to doing all this work, to doing all this stuff. Judas did the same thing, but his heart was never transformed. His heart was never turned from himself to the Father. And, that, and that's, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing, but it's an, it's an awful thing that Judas is now away from God forever because he did not, he did not have faith in Jesus. He did not receive what Jesus gave to him and did not believe. Does that make sense? That is uh, the son of destruction there. And that's so tough. This begs the question, how did he not believe? How did he not receive what, G what Jesus was, uh, was, was modeling for him, was showing him? Scripture shows us that Judas Iscariot had a wrong view of Jesus. When he talked about Jesus, he called him rabbi, which was, was not wrong, that's teacher, but several of the other disciples called Jesus Lord, right? He, he didn't change in his heart. He didn't receive what Jesus had given him. Judas was blinded by his greed, by his pride, by his selfishness, the hoarding of money instead of love for God and others. Y'all know, Bible scholars, that Judas was the, the money keeper for the disciples. Somebody had to account for stuff, right? And so he was the one that, that kept it. But, but that pride and that greed there never succumbed to the message of Christ. And so let that be a warning to us, right? Our pride and our greed can blind us from the message of salvation, Lastly, if it wasn't Judas Iscariot that betrayed Jesus, it had to be someone because the betrayal was in fulfillment of the scriptures. Uh, Psalms 41.9 says uh, about that too. Uh, so let's, let's look back at, at verse 13 now. So Jesus is praying. He's praying for the disciples. Here's what he says, verse 13. But now 
I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus is coming to the Father and, and he speaks these things during this entire farewell discourse that his joy may be completed in his disciples. There are a couple of theories about what uh, Jesus' joy is here, okay? One is that his joy is fulfilled, it's completed through his disciples as they are equipped and share the message, uh, being obedient and share the message of salvation to the world. And secondly, Jesus is God, right? His joy originated in heaven. Uh, and, and the character and the realization uh, in heaven is being with God. Can, can that not be a more joyful thing to know that you are with the creator, you are with God? And by the way, Jesus is God, right? He's the son of God and he's veiled his deity because he's fully man also, fully God, fully man. I can't explain it uh, except that that's what the scripture says. And so, so we believe it. And here's the thing, in Luke 2, 41 and in 52, it says that Jesus grew in stature and wisdom. It also says he grew in favor with God and men. How did Jesus, young Jesus there in Luke 2, grow in favor with God and men if he was not fully man, right? He was a boy. He was a boy, just like Grove, just like Scout. He understood, my, my son's there, he understood that uh, he had to grow towards God too. And so uh, a little bit later in, in Luke, uh, where was Jesus? Uh, Mary and Joseph went to the Passover festival and, and they lost their 12-year-old son. Do y'all remember that? They lost their 12-year-old son. Where was Jesus at? Where was he? Anybody? He was in the temple. That's right. He was in the temple. He was trying to grow closer to his Lord, grow closer to God at a young age. He was about his father's business. And by the way, he submitted to his parents. He never sinned, okay? It says a little bit later uh, in that passage that, that he, he, he submitted to his parents, okay? Uh, and that's a good thing. I got off there. Here's the thing. Jesus's joy, I believe, is fulfilled in both of those theories. One, that his joy is completed by the disciples being obedient, carrying on the message of Christ. And then two, his joy is because he is about to go back to the Father, back to the place where he originated. He is God and he's about to leave the earth, beat death and sin forever and rise again. That's his joy. I think it's both there. I think he, he, um, that Jesus' joy is fulfilled in both of those things. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 through 16, it says, I have given them your word, the disciples your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. 16 says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. In all of these centuries, in all of these centuries, God's word has been uh, divisive, right? Or divisive for, uh, for Dallas County folks, right? Because it's, it's a dividing thing. Here's the thing, it's dividing. Because it's true and it's absolute. You put two of us in the same room, even on Valentine's Day, and we're gonna differ, right? We're gonna differ. I'm not foreshadowing anything, I'm just saying. That's one of the things, right? We're people, we want our own way. We wanna go our own way. God's word is true, it's absolute. Not everyone agrees with it. 
because God's word is not motivated by my pride. It's not motivated by my selfishness. It's motivated by God's love for us. Amen? His love, his grace, his mercy, and his holiness. God's word to his disciples so nat- uh, uh, is, is, is divisive. And so naturally, uh, the world hates them for it. The disciples are not from this world after receiving and believing Jesus' message, just as Jesus is not from this world. The disciples are united in Jesus. Jesus asked Father God to allow his disciples to stay in the world, to complete the mission, right? But to be protected from the evil one. And it's a reminder from verse 11, Jesus is leaving the world and has protected them to date. And so now he asked the father to take over in protecting. This protection is from the evil one, from Satan himself. And the doubts that Satan tries to give us, uh, that Jesus is not real and that God is not really with us. So I wanna, um, I wanna, I wanna teach a little bit here. What are uh, the evil one's tactics, okay? What are his tactics? We know that during coronavirus, we have been separated, right? We have been isolated. And the devil knows exactly what he's doing with this, right? I know it's a real virus. That's why I wear my, my mask. That's, it's, it's a real thing. And so I'm not mocking it. But what I am saying is the devil is having a field day of his followers being divided, right? His followers being separated. His followers being isolated, right? You've been on an island before. It's no fun. It's no good. This is why Jesus says, be united. The, the second thing that, that uh, Satan does and you've seen it in scripture. He plants half-truths, right? By the way, the demons know God's word. They know God, and then they shudder, right? They know God's word. And so, uh, so the devil plants a half-truth. He goes, he goes halfway and tries to, tries to put doubt in our mind that Jesus is not real. Jesus doesn't care about you. You're on your own, right? The battlefield is of the mind, So I can't just give you the tactics there. Let me give you uh, some things that that protect us, that help us, right? Uh, I remind you from uh, John chapter 16, verse 33. If you have it, it's right there. Listen to what Jesus says before he prays this prayer. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world. You will, uh, sorry, let me say that again. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. It's promised, but take heart. I have overcome the world. How are we protected by the evil one, okay? How are we protected by the evil one? Separation and isolation. We must be united, right? We're united right here. And I know, uh, church family, as you're online, uh, we're, we're pseudo-united right now, right? We are in the same mind because we're reading the same uh, text. We're reading the same verses. And so we love you. We, we miss you. We want to be with you. We want to stay connected. But that's how we can defeat the evil one. We can stay united, right? When I said uh, that Judas uh, uh, did all the checks in the box, come into church, read his lesson, uh, went to Sunday school and all those things, guys, that's vital, it's vital to be a part of a community, a Christ-following community that, uh, that keeps you accountable, right? That speaks encouragement into your life. We need to be united, church. We need to be united in God's word and in God's power. That's how we can be protected. 
from the half-truths, from the battlefield being of the mind. We need to know God's word. We need to know God's word. We need to follow God's word. And American Bible, uh, American Bible Society uh, just did a, a report in 2020, and it showed that one in four Americans read the Bible uh, w- once a week, okay? So they did this, this study, one in four Americans, 25%, actually read the Bible once a week. By the way, y'all got yours today, right? Well done, all right. But that's the thing, here's the thing, here's the thing. If I just speak to my wife once a week and then Valentine's Day rolls up, right? How much love am I really showing my wife, right? Do I really pursue her? Do I really have a relationship with her? No, no. God's relationship, God's word is the the tool to have a relationship with holy God. By the way, there's also prayer. By the way, the Holy Spirit indwells us. He brings us this truth to mind, does he not? He does, but here's the thing. We gotta be in God's word. We gotta be in God's word. Parents, uh, hey, I'm youth pastor, so I'm using every single inch of this platform. Here, Here it goes. Parents, you are the primary spiritual emphasis in your home, amen? You've heard that before if you're Elkdale parents. You are the primary spiritual emphasis in your home. The church is anything if secondary, if you allow us to be. But let me give you a secret. We're with you. We're with you. Let us be with you. Let us be with you. Uh, uh, Pastor said at the, at, the end of the, at the end of the month, the Merge Family Conference is coming up, okay? We don't wanna just be with you uh, by, uh, you know, just praying for you, which is huge, um, and just texting you and stuff like that, whatever, just being here, okay? We wanna be with you to empower you. So parents of all ages, not just youth, we're having this Merge Family Conference where you can come, have a free dinner. We will take your kids, okay? We will take your kids, and we're gonna have a seminar from one of my buddies from Ozark. He's gonna come up, and he's gonna talk about, give us some more best practices on how we can build a godly home. I don't know about you, but I need more best practices of building a godly home. Uh, last year, I got convicted. We had a lot of time uh, at the house, bless you. We had a lot of time at the house by ourselves. So man, all of our yards look fantastic, right? Uh, everything, we were in the yard ever, more than ever before, right? All these things. And so I was convicted, though, that my sons uh, uh, weren't, weren't being modeled uh, God's word, right? Like weren't being modeled uh, the way that dad needed to be in the word. And so I got to thinking, man, did the boys ever catch me reading God's word, right? Did the boys ever catch me praying for someone else? Certainly we, um, we pray at night and, and before meals and things like that. And that's important, you know, start there. Did they catch me doing those things? And I, I just got convicted. I just got convicted over that. And I said, man, I want to lead a life to model for my three boys, gifts from God, my primary disciples, right? That they would know God's word, that they would know God's word. And so, um, so I started uh, reading God's word daily. I started getting in there uh, and, and them accidentally seeing, uh, you know, dad, reading God's word. It's important. It's important because I am their only dad, right? I'm their only father, right? 
Um, I, I, I just want to um, implore to you, parents, parents, let your kids catch you praying, right? Let your, not, not to show, not to, you know, be boastful about it, uh, where uh, Jesus condemns that from the Pharisees. But here's the thing, you're their parents, right? You're their parents. And so you have to disciple them. They are going to, here's, here's something, they're gonna be like you, okay? They're gonna be like you. So let them catch you reading God's word. Let them catch you considering God's word before you make a decision, right? Let them catch you counting the finances and stuff like that and say, you know what? Uh, we're tithing first, right? We're giving that to the Lord. We need to model for our children what, uh, they, what we want them to be. Followers of Christ, the disciples have no ties to this world, no ties uh, in verse 16. But this doesn't mean that we need to isolate ourselves from non-believers, okay? His message has to get to the world. And so I will never be an advocate of us building a gym on, on, on this beautiful campus that God has given us just for the Christian folks, okay? Here's why, here's why. Because God wants us to be among the world, okay? We're not of the world, right? Jesus makes that very clear. The disciples are not of the world, but they're in the world. And we have something to share with them, amen? We have something to share with them. And so we need to consider that. We need to get outside of the four walls of our uh, pseudo-Christian safety, okay? We need to do missions, and we do. Elkdale is, is so blessed uh, by those that are in God's word, that, that by, by those that are doing missions, not just here in Selma, but, but uh, in our nation and all over the world. I'm so grateful that you allow me uh, to take students uh, uh, almost wherever, right? Uh, it's a wonderful thing to get to do that and get to show others the love of Christ. Look at Matthew 16, 18. This is what uh, Jesus says to Peter because he finally gets it. He finally understands that he's in God's word, that he is, uh, is following Jesus. This is what he says. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's what Jesus says to Peter. He's talking about the church. He's talking about the faith of you, Peter. That's what I'm gonna build my church on. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Look at verse 17 uh, through 19. This is a difficult mission. So Jesus' prayer for his disciples continues in reminding us about his action, which sets us apart in unity. Verse 17 through 19, it says, sanctify them, God, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. Jesus does what we could not do for ourselves. He dies on the cross. The perfect lamb of God dies on the cross where we should have been, right? He paid our sin debt that we deserve to pay. Jesus did it. He finished it. So he's thinking about this. And he says that final act will we'll open the gates of salvation, right? And they will be united. In this verse, Jesus looks to the cross and he, he, he asks God to make them holy, set them apart, sanctify them. By how? Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth, church. 
we need to get in God's word, amen? We gotta be in God's word. This is what sanctifies us. This is the message. The power is in salvation, right? This is it. So we need to be united in Christ. When we read God's word, do you ever want to hear from God? You know what God's word, uh, God's voice sounds like? Y'all have heard this before. Open God's word and start reading his word. There, that's his voice. You know, it's simple, but that's it. We need to be about God's word. We need to be people of the word. Jesus, let me be clear about this. Jesus did not have to make himself holy, okay? He, he was holy, but he did this to devote himself to his calling, which is to take the wrath of sin upon himself. That was his action that sets the disciples apart in unity. Jesus' prayer encourages his followers in acknowledging that his message is received, asking protection for us from the evil one, his action which sets us apart in unity, and finally, the adva his advancement of his kingdom through us. Look at verses 20 and 21, and this is, this is beautiful text because guess what? It's talking about us. Look at verse 20 and 21. I do not ask for these only, just the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, 21, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you and they also may be in us so that, get this church, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's it, that's it. He prayed for us. He prays for himself. He prays for the disciples. He prays for the ones who will come to believe in the truth and believe in the word of God. We have the power of salvation. It's Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus, right? It's in the name of Jesus. We are united. And, and here's a beautiful thing, right? Here's the beautiful thing. God is with us, right? Matthew 28, verse 20, he says, And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's a beautiful thing. Church, we are not without. We are not isolated. We are not separated from God. It's through the power of salvation in Jesus' name that we are with him. And that's a beautiful thing. We need to be proud of that. We need to be excited about that. You, Christ follower, and me have the message to share to a dying world. And they will not hear it unless we are obedient. Amen? They will not hear it. And so I'm with you. It's hard. Jesus knew it was hard. That's why he asked to, for, for us to be protected, right? He knew it was hard. I'm with you. It is hard. But I want to go with you in, in showing you that, that we can share uh, God's message. We can be united in prayer. The very last thing I want to say uh, before I give some application is this. There's a Scottish pastor by the name of Robert Murray McShane. And I think he's thinking of uh, Jesus's prayer in John 17. Listen to these words. He says, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He's praying for me. It's beautiful. Jesus prays for us. We have a mission to do. We need to be obedient, right? And he's with us. He's with us. So as I, as I pray in a minute, think about that. If this is 
uh, if this is totally foreign to you, if Jesus is not on your radar and you're trying to figure out if this book is true, if Jesus is real, that's okay. I'm glad you're here, right? Online, I'm glad you're, you're tuning in. Jesus is real. Get in his word. You will find that he is real. The Holy Spirit draws us to him. Remember what Jesus said? God, you gave them to me, right? He draws us. And here's what we have to do. We have to respond just like the disciples did. We have to receive his message, right? And believe in him. So that's for the the one that doesn't know Christ. For the Christ follower, what's he calling you to do? What's he calling you to do? Here's one thing. Get in your word, right? Get in his word. Let's do it. Let's do it together, right? I have some uh, best practices. Uh, wake up early, right? That's not from me. That's from John 1, 35, right? Jesus gets up early uh, before the break of day. That's okay. You're not a morning person. You can read this at night. It's fine, right? Let's get in God's word. Who is in your life that needs to know the truth? Who is in your life that needs unity with Christ. Let's pray for them right now, right? Let's pray for them right now. And then the last thing is, man, we're, we're a church. We're together. We're with you. Let us pray with you. Let us uh, uh, teach you this word. I don't know all of this stuff. I just studied John 17. I got John 17 down now, right? So I can teach that to you. You can probably teach me one, right? It's a great thing. Let's be together. And that's what Jesus says. Hey, be united, right? Be united and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Let's pray. God, you are so good. Thank you, King Jesus. You alone are worthy to be praised and worshiped for you alone took my place on the cross and died for my sin, for my mistakes. Thank you, Jesus, for beating death. You can't be held down. You hold the keys to life and death and you promise that you are with me. Thank you for making it clear to us through your word, the Holy Bible, how you prayed for us, gave us direction in that prayer, how we will advance your kingdom in the world by acknowledging your message and sharing it with others. This is a difficult mission, and you've made that clear by praying for us to be protected from the evil one. But we can stand firm, together, united, by knowing your word and by staying in unity with you and with others. Help us to form foundational habits in our individual lives. Let it be today that we are serious about our relationship with you, our Savior, King Jesus. I pray for my home church. I pray for Elkdale, that we will be a light for you that will shine to Selma and Dallas County and beyond. You are our hope, our strength in this chaos-filled world. Let us get real with our faith now in you and with our attitudes. I pray for those in this room who are struggling to make a commitment for the first time. I pray for boldness and courage to walk in your truth and accept your most gracious gift of eternal life. You've opened the doors of salvation to us. I pray also for our Sunday school and our grow group leaders in our church that they'll be strengthened to carry out your command to shepherd and spur along with encouragement those under their care, even in this unprecedented time. I pray selfishly, Lord that our student ministry would grow in depth of loving you before growing in numbers. I praise you for sending workers to help me encourage our parents as they are intentional in modeling for their teens how to carry on the message. Please keep us about your business, O oh God. Safeguard our families. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.